Welcome to the Brothers in Crime podcast. We are brothers. We talk about true crime. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And you shouldn't either. So in our first little bit less than a year of recording the Brothers in Crime podcast, we've talked about a lot of people. Some of them have been really amazing. They've been heroic. They've been strong. They've had faith. They've endured things that people shouldn't have to. And those are mostly the victims or the families of the victims. But then there's this other group of people who are just horrible human beings that do disgusting things or operate in ways that just make you sick. And if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've probably caught on that when we come across people like this, Bob has a special term for these kind of characters. Yeah, they instantly, what pops into my mind is you're a bag of shit. And so we thought it might be fun, interesting, or whatever to sort of pull together who we thought were the biggest bags of shit of this year. We each have some nominations that we're going to talk through, and then we'll argue until we reach a winner. How's that sound, Will? Sounds great. So the first annual Brothers in Crime 2023 BOS Awards. Yep, that's it. And my first nominee, it's really two. It's the Bondurant Brothers. Those big, nasty, Wilford Brimley inhaled and inflatable doll kind of looking awful people. They're suspenders and all. If you want to narrow that down to one, I'd have to say it was the older brother, Pete, right? He was the older yeah. one. Yeah, he was the he was the more disgusting, disturbing terrifying pat was the one that you know he had actually worked a real job and when pete was out of his life there for a period of time he he had got married and was working in a factory and seemed to be for them somewhat normal but then pete came back into the picture after murdering a guy in ohio and yeah it went downhill from there and what stands out to me about them that makes them just yuck is the incident where at their home one of the brothers, they had drugged this girl. He was raping her in the bathroom. And then the wife or girlfriend comes in and sees some of it. And it was basically like for the other brother, now it's your turn, which mm. is disgusting. Yeah. And then they end up killing this girl and then they burned her with like rubber and whatnot. It was horrible. Yeah, it was really bad. And that wasn't the end of the nastiness they did, or even the beginning, but that's what just jumps out as what horrible, awful human beings. And I'm not in a position to judge much, but these guys, I feel like I can judge. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that a thousand percent. So do you think they're a legitimate nominee? This is a solid contender. I mean, not just in the, the girth category. I mean, these guys deserve the title that you have very aptly given them. I think this is, they, they are a worthy a nomination together as a, a disgusting duo of, ugh. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wish I could think of a D word that meant something like super horrible, disgusting. Yeah, everything I thought of after that was were like positive words and they don't get positive words, so. Yeah, nothing delightful about these delicious twins. Mm -mm, definitely not. And next up, my first nomination is a guy that we talked about in episode five when we wrapped up the Colonial Parkway murders. And this is none other than Freddie Atwell. And I remember, Bob, you particularly, this may have been the origin of this term. I feel like this might have been the first time that you used it when you coined it on the podcast. And for good reason, Fred, not a great guy at all. You could pull up an article from 2012 where he had pled guilty to scamming victims' families from these murders. And he had done this through a phony car raffle, the proceeds of which were supposed to go to this victim's fund. 
Instead, the car never existed. The dealership that he said he was working with, they didn't know anything about it. And he admitted that he kept the money that the victim's family gave him for fees associated with the raffle for himself. I mean, it's just, wow, what a horrible person. Right. So, I mean, it's one thing that like OJ was on the golf course looking for the real killers, but this Atwell dude, there were eight young people that died in this short period of time that were horribly murdered. And so he's trying to bring light to the investigation, help them get to justice. They don't even know who done it. And he's playing on that to run this little scam. What a sick turd. And, and he had checkered past. And I remember from listening to uh, one of Bill Thomas's podcast episodes, he's got a uh, mind over murder that he was talking about how Atwell had reached out to him or had reached out to some of the families with, you know, the supposed mysterious figure that had more information about where, um, I think it was where Keith and Cassandra's bodies were, but Fred was going to need to be the one to broker this deal and act as a middleman. And this mysterious person was demanding $20,000 to reveal the location of the bodies. And I mean, the guy, what, what a snake oil used car salesman turd, just absolutely horrible person. Yeah, and he found himself on both sides of the badge. For some points, he was a cop or a deputy, and then he'd find himself in jail. He's a hot mess. Yeah, and don't forget, there was uh, some of the, the photographs, I think there were crime scene photos, that had somehow managed to get leaked or removed from the FBI's office in Norfolk, and he's the one that uh, managed to turn up with those at one point. So just kind of at the center of that whole case, here's this guy who just is like a like a parasite, a leech that's definitely. Yeah. He kept injecting himself into it and also trying to extract money, mostly money from anybody involved. I mean, he's a really bad guy and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say one of these is worse than the others, but if I had to sextortionists in general, I don't remember the episode because I just don't, but we talked about the number of teens in the United States that seem to have happy, normal, regular lives, honor roll students, athletes, musicians, the whole nine yards who seem to be doing great and one morning were found dead by their parents. And of course, what we learned about this is that these bags of shit both in the U.S. and in other countries. Some of them, I think we learned, were finally extradited from Nigeria that were perpetrating some of this. They were luring and baiting these kids into sending either compromising photographs or videos of themselves. The kids believed they were talking to someone their own age that was truly interested in them. And then once the sextortionist got a hold of this stuff, they immediately flipped the switch and said, send us a bunch of money. Or we're going to send these pictures and videos to your friends, family, and parents. And even to the point of saying, I remember one of them, the kid said, you know, I, I have no money. I can't do what you're asking. I'm just going to have to kill myself. And the sextortionist was like, well, go ahead because you're dead anyway. Your life's ruined. I'm going to make sure of it. And just really, it seemed like even once they knew the kids had no money, they just pushed and pushed for mm. no benefit other than sadistic torture. Yeah, that was definitely the point when we were recording that episode that it just became abundantly clear that these, these people who do this are operating on another level of evil that they would, that it seems like they're in it for the money, but then when there's clearly not going to be any money to be made, or you could maybe try a different approach to, to try to get some money out of the situation and just kind of abandon that. And instead to, to tell a child who is clearly upset and distraught and struggling and hurting, 
says, you know, they're, they're starting to really contemplate and have these suicidal ideations to do it. That's hard to process. Right. And these bags of shit basically broke into the homes of these kids in the middle of the night with the parents completely unaware because mm -hmm. they were doing it through Instagram and whatever other social medias that, that are out there. And to play on the vulnerabilities, what more vulnerable audience can you have than a teenage boy being approached by a very attractive teenage girl who shows a, an interest and then plays on the hormones and everything else? Oh, yeah, I mean, sick suckers. There's not many people in the world who make poorer life decisions, and I can speak from experience, than a teenage boy uh, who is caught in the snares of a of a of an attractive young lady. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, uh, males make worse decisions than females. Teenage males, we, uh, well, shit, I'm lucky to be alive. Just put it that way, I'm alive in spite of my life decisions. But well, that makes two of us. And then you add on, well, we'll put what we consider to be a pretty girl in front of us and then add to it that she acts like she's interested. And you, know, you got me. I mean, I'll confess to, you know, killing Hoffa. I, I thought you did kill Hoffa. <laughs> he was a little before my time. You got anything else for these sextortionists or uh, does that about cover what you got to say about them? No, they pissed me off so bad. Yeah, worthy. Definitely a worthy uh, nomination there. So next up on the list, we've got somebody that might surprise you. Maybe if you don't know much beyond the usual narrative or maybe the older narrative, uh, you might be surprised to hear us mention this name. But next on the list is former FBI director J. Edgar Hoover. And uh, uh, yeah, this came out, I believe, when we were talking about Lester, Lil Lester, uh, a.k.a. Babyface Nelson. And we we're talking about him being named public enemy Number one, which was one of Hoover's things, he created it, you know, as as essentially the FBI's dictator or authoritarian, which he's been aptly named by several places throughout the years. And, and that's a, a, a worthy title. You know, he created yeah. a lot of these different, you know, things that the FBI did, programs, whatever, such as this idea of naming certain people public enemy number one. We're going to put all our resources into capturing and killing, capturing or killing this person, whatever. So, yeah, that's all fine and well to do. But what, what people fail to maybe appreciate if you haven't studied enough of history, uh, and I just pulled up, you know, here's this uh, a PBS sponsored thing that's talking about forgery, illegal break-ins, manufacturing evidence, and trying to scare an American out of accepting the Nobel Peace Prize. That's the FBI director who, whose abuses have never received adequate exposure and they're talking about J. Edgar Hoover. And Bob, I remember you had some uh, you had some thoughts about what kind of a, a person or maybe some of the shortcomings of Mr. Hoover that you shared in that episode. Yeah, his main shortcoming is he's a bag of shit. And I, I can't believe that I didn't remember to throw him on the list as a nominee here because there's very few people on this planet that anger me to the level of this man who was clearly a very racist everything a phobe other than you know i guess wearing women's shoes or whatever but he didn't like anybody that was not a clean-cut white guy that in his mind looked like his image in the beginning he personally interviewed every potential agent and they had to meet what he thought was the look which is 
freaking weird to start with. Like you said, he created the FBI. He, he was running, I forget what it was called before that, but then it got turned into the FBI. He created it and shaped it exactly how he wanted it. He ran the thing for like half a freaking century and created a whole lot of institutional BS that is still problematic today. This is the guy that like nearly drove MLK crazy. He was had these files on he was surveilling everybody and leading all kinds of just nasty, nasty stuff against people he didn't like, whether they are right or wrong. Yeah. And some interesting history about Hoover that we didn't mention in that prior episode because, you know, it wasn't all about him. When he went to college, he was part of a fraternity. My understanding, I think this might have even been when he was in law school or studied law at George Washington in DC, which he was a Washingtonian, I believe his whole life. I don't, I think he was born there and never left the city. While he was at school, he became part of a fraternity that was essentially like founded as like the people who were sort of like upheld Robert E. Lee in high regard. It was this essentially crafted as, you know, to kind of hold in high admiration, the Confederate South and Robert E. Lee and all this stuff. And so that was uh, the uh, fraternity he was part of. And then went from that to working for the government. He worked in the Library of Congress for a short bit of time where he learned the importance of uh, the card catalog and indexing, which really came in handy later on because uh, he was notorious for keeping files, blackmail files on everybody, including presidents. And then he also, understanding how this organization and systems was so important, particularly in government, it made it so that he understood the weaknesses and could easily find ways and knew how to make things that he didn't want to come to light to disappear. So uh, a misplaced file seems innocent enough unless the stuff in the file is something that you don't want anybody to ever know existed. So to have that kind of level of authority, that position and stature in the government and such an impact on an agency that's large and, and incredibly powerful. I mean, we're talking about the weight of the, the United States government in this thing and, and can be used for such good but under the, the reign of somebody who had those sort of prejudices and that sort of outlook and was, like you said, a control freak down to the most minute detail. I'm glad you said that because Fred Atwell, yeah, he's, he's a bag of shit. He was doing dirty stuff. Or you look at the Bondurant brothers who were, they killed several people. Main difference, like with the Hoover, is that the things that he did rippled out, like you said, the influence and the power that he had. And this is an institution that's supposed to be protecting people and being justice for all Americans, fairness, truth, that kind of thing. But instead it's being used in a dirty way. Yeah. So, terrible. Absolutely yeah. terrible. And similar to that, and I don't remember exact names, but we talked about in one of these episodes, I remember you bringing up, it might've been an innocent project or a wrongfully convicted person. And you had talked about how Chicago had this and the name was really just unbelievable, but it was something to the effect of, we're going to go back and look at the cases we know we screwed up. And there was a similar thing in Baltimore. And I know you pointed out that other district attorneys and prosecutors offices have set up these kinds of departments as well to review cases and do things similar to the Innocence Project where they go back and, you know, see, did we get it right? I remember specifically in Baltimore, you had the uh, detective threatening and, you know, assaulting some of these witnesses that at the beginning said, I didn't see nothing. That guy wasn't there. And then after a little tune up from the detective, suddenly now they're saying a completely different story and getting somebody locked up for life. 
And that was happening in that first story. I remember when you talked about that Chicago thing. Yeah, I think you're referring to Chicago's Torture Inquiry Relief Commission, which was created in August of 2009. It was established to review claims uh, defendants would make and to make recommendations for judicial review if the claims had merit, which I think we talked about this before when we recorded is insane that we even have to have that or that they have to have that there because it's such an issue. Right. I, the fact that you need like a, a torture uh, review board. Inquiry, I mean, come on. Yeah. And, you know, that's awful out in Chicago. And I think after we recorded the Harlem Park 3 episode, I believe in October, Baltimore reached a $48 million wrongful conviction payout settlement for the Harlem Park 3. And we, we may have talked about it. I think it was, I think at that point it had been proposed. They had reached it, but the, the city had to still approve it. It had to go through some channels. But anyway, it ultimately ended up, it got approved. That was good to go. The, those guys were going to get paid out that money, which of course, like we talked about, I'm sure if you ask anybody whether they want to spend their entire adult life from, you know, 16 to what was it like 52 or 50 whatever yeah uh, in in prison in exchange for any amount of money the answer is going to be no thanks i'll pass so it's not a matter of like oh great for these guys it's awful it's horrible i'm i'm glad that they're being given something but at the same time the cost to these men their lives the time they've lost the life the opportunity that they've missed out on to to be able to live and to spend time with their family and to to just build a life and couple that with the cost to society for not having them to be a part of it. And then on the back end, this expense. And, and then whoever, the, the guy who actually committed the murder, he was just out probably continuing to commit more crimes. So right, exactly. Awesome. You got it all wrong. And it all could have been avoided if people had just been honest, upright, and fair and done what the criminal justice system is supposed to do. Find the truth, not just decide what you think happened and then beat people into saying that to win a conviction. Like literally beat people. In some places to the point that there has to be a uh, torture inquiry review and relief commission. My goodness. Yeah, that's awful. Right. Well, next up on the That's Awful list for these awards is none other than Winston Mosley. And we talked about Mosley in our episode about Kitty Genovese, uh, which she's somewhat notorious in psychological circles and academic circles on psychological studies. We detail that in the episode. And this guy, man, so he, he had, his wife was a nurse. Sometimes she worked nights, whatever. And so he would have opportunities. They lived up there in uh, uh, New York city and he would just go out on the prowl and look for somebody. Particularly he would target women and women that he, he was confident that he could, you know, overpower that, and that he could do whatever he wanted with and, and just brutalize. And Kitty Genovese was absolutely horrifically, brutally assaulted sexually assaulted and murdered and this guy just he well had, that doesn't make him a big enough bag of shit that he just attacked and and assaulted her horribly and murdered her i think what made him first jump out to me as a big old bag of shit is that he got scared away at one point during the attack and fled but then hit around the corner and when things quieted down he came back to this poor woman that was in bad shape and continued. Yeah, and seemed to just be not really remorseful. And then even later on, we talked about how uh, later in life, as he got older, it was there were these different stories. And, you know, oh, I was the getaway driver for this mob guy who actually did it. Or 
well, I was, I did it on behalf of the mob or, uh, well, I think at one point he, he claimed that she had hurled some insults at him and, and that's why he did it. I mean, just the story kept changing. It was all clearly not true. It was, you know, he's trying to minimize his role. I think he wanted to get out. Uh, he was denied parole until he eventually died in prison where he belonged, thankfully. Right. But yeah, he clearly belongs on the list. That guy, and he's the one, I get fuzzy on the details here, but didn't he try to cut her from inside out in half, but the pubic bone stopped his efforts or something? Yeah, that was his, in what he testified to, he basically said that was his plan was to, he had the knife that he was using that he had stabbed her with. He had placed it inside of her and had intended to cut her straight up the belly and said that was his plan and that's what he wanted or was intending to do but was unable to because of her pubic bone. And yeah, so don't try no mob made me do it kind of nonsense story. That's a freaking sicko straight up bag of shit right there. Absolutely. And the way he talked about it was like uh, how I talk about if I try to order Domino's and I can't figure out their app. I mean, it was just nonchalant and, you know, eh, well, it's a Tuesday, so whatever. Right. Things that, you know, you and I are having a hard time saying what he said here just repeating it as a matter of reporting on it and he hadn't didn't have a hard time saying it like it was just, and it was his idea and his doing oh what a weirdo not even a weirdo just a bag of shit and yeah. one that i think we got to talk about from this year uh, it's a real special case that's fortunately in prison as well and that is uh taylor Shabusiness, who had a friend with benefits that she was benefiting with and choked him with the dog collar and then uh decided hey you like to kink shame people don't go kink shaming like if there's consensual stuff what people do in their house as long as it's legal that's you know totally up to them consenting adults and whatever absolutely hey if your dog collar stuff and whips and chains and whatnot stays behind closed doors and everybody's happy you know live and let live but when it becomes national news i have a right to do a little shaming here and when you turn your your dog collar stuff into choking this person to death and saying you know, you're getting frustrated with how long it was taking him to die because then the next thing you do is start dismembering him and having your way with his corpse before, during, and after you're dismembering him. That makes you a big old bag of shit, Miss Shit Business. And that was the way I forget. Uh, Uncle Kelly. Wasn't it Uncle Kelly? Uncle Kelly. Yes. Um, most eloquent speaker in the room spoke during the, uh, that, uh, was it impact? Yeah. For her sentencing. Yeah. 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 He came up and just laid it out. God bless uncle Kelly. He did a great job and I completely agree with him. But this lady, I mean, I remember the look on your face when I was telling you about the, uh, you know, we, we got past the fact that Shad Therian, the victim here, that his mother found his head in a bucket in her basement and would later learn that his penis was also in there. But then when they went to find Taylor and uh, they're talking to her outside the minivan there and there's a crockpot box in the back with the legs in it. Yeah, that's that same expression you gave then. Like, what? <laughs> I couldn't get over it. And it, it took me a minute and I was trying to wrap my, I mean, it's, yeah, she's. She, yeah, we've talked about a lot of strange, sick, evil people this year. We sure have. And, and she definitely belongs on this list. I tell you what. 
somewhere we we just talked about bizarre people before her we're talking about weirdos i don't know how anyway yeah we talked about you know strange behavior and and bizarre and whatever and and if you watched any of the trial at all i mean you saw somebody who you just wondered what in the world is going on attacked her first attorney at one point right right and i mean just weird and in the sentencing that and then they were smiling and then uh, we can't forget about the friend oh of hers that testified about chopping it up with her. Right. Yeah. That was just a, a, a surprise gift for the prosecution when that friend is talking. Yeah, we were just chopping it up. Uh, excuse me. What? Right. And he says they, it's, a, it's an expression. It means talking. Well, yeah, but you probably shouldn't be using the expression chopping it up. We're talking about how your friend dismembered your other friend. Yeah. I was, I was a little surprised the judge didn't give him a little Fifth Amendment. Uh, you know, hey, just so you know, you might want to <laughs> seek some counsel before you keep talking. Oh. Yeah, that was, that was, and then she's, she's giggling while this is going on. So we got what, seven uh, nominees for the inaugural BOS awards here? Yeah. And I think uh, it's safe to say they're all bags of shit. Uh, it's a matter of uh, which one is going to be the biggest bag of shit of the year. It's tough. These are all worthy contenders for that title. I think they have earned their place. I got to tell you, I, I know where I'm leaning toward and you really sold it to me when you talked about it's not just the bag of shittiness that they exercised over a person or in a given period, but someone that has made an entire legacy of being a bag of shit and had power and control. I'm leaning toward Hoover. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, certainly there's something to be said about yeah, the impact, right? I mean, that guy shaped the FBI. I mean, his fingerprints, his DNA, it's all all over it and maybe more ways than I'd care to think about. But, you know, I, I, coming into this, I, these weren't toward the high end of, of my list. But as we talked also, I, thinking back about that episode when we talked about the sextortionists and, and how, and it's not just people in Nigeria or other countries, you know, we, we cited some instances where People, you know, here, I think there was a guy from California who did this with folks in the Midwest, maybe Missouri or Arkansas, somewhere like that. But to, to prey upon children, I mean, there's just a special place for offenders and for miscreants and awful, horrible human beings who would do anything to hurt a child. Uh, I, I think that's very clear. I mean, and that notion, uh, to me, if you've got any semblance of a conscience, then that rings true with you. And, you know, we've talked about it before. When you when you run calls, when you work in, you know, the industries like you have and kids are involved, it sticks with you. It's different. And I, I think the same thing's true for, you know, prosecutors and people who work these cases, police officers, things like that. You know, when you're working a case that involves a child, it just takes on a, a different qualitative thing. And so these these guys, man, you know, money, that would be bad enough. But but then to just be evil and go after these kids who are vulnerable and, you know, as a, as a, a guy who was a stupid teenage boy for several years, to go after stupid teenage boys and to do what they do to them. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me not to put them pretty high up on this list too. I, I think that's where, where I'm sort of leaning at the moment. So I can't disagree with that. You know, that, that episode, I'm sure you remember, uh, just brought a lot of anger out of me. I just couldn't believe it's not just that these guys, like you said, were going after money, but even when there was no money to be had, it's like they continued. And their whole scheme of 
they were baiting females, female teenagers to get the uh, pictures or videos that they were going to use to pose as. They were the bait and they would threaten them then. You're either going to make this video we want or we're going to share this picture you gave us. And they would use that as bait to go after the teenage boys. They're just horrible people. I think for me, there's two differences between what I see in them and what I see in Hoover. And one is that they're doing their thing and it's a horrible thing. And I hope they all rot in hell for what they've done. On the other hand, Hoover's stuff, he influenced all of federal law enforcement that was working for him at that time. He used the power of what's supposed to be fair and honest and sort of the mediator or whatever of truth and justice and influenced that and went after entire races of people. So I look, none of these people on this list, I don't want to have dinner with any of them or drink a beer. They're all horrible, horrible people. The other thing that I, that did makes me lean back toward Hoover as it also does like Pete Bondurant in particular, or Winston Mosley or Taylor Shabusiness is because I can see a specific face and something about being able to see that specific face. And in Hoover's case, there's beady little weird eyes. <laughs> it is, I can attach the bag of shit label to a, an individual rather than a unknown group. I'm not seeing pictures of these sextortionists and I'm glad I haven't. That would just piss me off even more. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I, I get that. I can't disagree with anything you're saying. There's this uh, level of evilness or whatever that, that kind of, I think attaches itself to these sextortionists because there is that mystery of, you know, they kind of do this from behind a computer or from behind a phone and they could be halfway across the world or they could be your neighbor. And they're able to, through technology and through th these things that we have that can be used for great good, you know, cell phones and, and the internet technology, all these things have provided tremendous benefits to society. But at the same time, they've been used for pretty horrible things. And in this case, these sextortionists, it's like you said, they, they break into your house. I mean, it's really, uh, it's almost worse because they're able to do it without you having any idea, without being able to protect your kids unless you're, you know, staying on top of their electronics and really, I mean, monitoring it in a way we, we saw with Walker. And when you talked about it, you know, his parents had all his passwords. They shared everything with him or, or he shared everything with them. It wasn't I think the FBI had commented and said, like, we in these, you know, when we get involved, this is never the case. It's always very different. There was absolutely nothing other than the conversation that started like four hours before his death. Yeah. That, that was even a problem. And I think that's like the most terrifying thing is to think, I mean, my gosh, how many times are you unaware of like exactly what your child is doing for four hours? I mean, right. When you go to bed, like these folks did, they ate dinner together, they went to bed. Who would think that you would wake up and find your child? All right. I, I've just kind of turned here a little bit, despite my deep disdain for Hoover. You see, I knew you were going to play on my anger toward these sextortionists, but what gets me, what makes me come over to your side on this is that Hoover's nonsense. He was a horrible person, but he's definitely, he's not even worm food anymore. That's right. He gone. But these sextortionists are still operating right now, today, doing what they're doing. And you made a great point in the episode that I think is just worth mentioning here, even though it's not directly the sextortionist, is that these companies, the social media companies and some of these internet and technology tools that we have at our disposal could be doing a lot more and they're not. And they're not because at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit them to do more. It hurts their bottom line right? to an extent. And so they, they create all these ways that make it not 
It definitely doesn't make it any harder for these kind of things to take place. Yeah, they well, it makes it harder for parents to to get in the loop and be involved. And some have argued that it's not just a matter of like they're not making it easier, but it some feel like these social media things explicitly make it more difficult to because they want to keep the kids, the users active on the platform and not do anything to disrupt that. So it's not like they are really, it's not like they support sextortion or anything, but. Right. Yeah. Not saying that, not trying to get. All, all they care about is keeping the kids on their apps. And well, if that means. Right. Gosh, well, yeah, some kids have died because of this, these horrible actors, then so be it. And I. A hundred percent. Exactly. I'm glad you clarified that. Certainly don't want to get a cease and desist letter. And I'm not saying. I have any kind of inside baseball or anything. I imagine that it's very much like, uh, and this would be more your time period than my time period, but what was it when they didn't have seatbelts in cars and was it like Ford or one of the manufacturers and, and it got leaked that they had basically done the study and said, well, we could put them in there. It really wouldn't cost much. It'd be like a dollar, but you know, it's kind of inconvenient and it's just some people are going to die and that's the cost of doing business and we'll save money. So we don't care. I feel like it's that sort of thing with social media companies and the technology that's out there where. You know, could we put more in place to kind of curb some of this stuff? Sure. But mm, it's kind of just the cost of doing business that some bad things are going to happen and we're just going to ignore it. Yeah. The only thing that I can say in defense of the social media companies, some of them, you know, in particular, I despise more than others. Lizard boy. But um, <laughs> is that even if some of those social media companies tightened up every loophole today, tomorrow, there would be something else. Absolutely. And that's just a reflection of the speed at which technology is growing into our lives these days. I mean, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have even known what sextortion was. It didn't exist. It couldn't exist. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the bottom line is evil's out there. There are evil people in the world among us. And whether it's climbing through the window and stealing the Lindbergh baby or hopping on Snapchat, catfishing, and then inappropriately and illegally spreading these kind of obscene materials that have been illegally through manipulated means taking advantage of these children and using it against them. And then just awfully, I mean, ugh, it's just terrible. It, it, regardless, it, technology changes again in 30 or 40 or 50 years. And, and it's the same thing is going to keep happening. There are going to be evil people doing evil things. It's just going to change with the times. All of the people we've nominated and groups that we've nominated this year, you know, they're all doing horrible things and they've all caused the death of people in a horrible way and taken life. And so I think it's kind of like sin. There's not really a rank order that you can say one person or one act is worse than the other, but we're trying to give our award to what our standout, I guess, bag of shit of the year. And it sounds like the Bondurant's disgusting. In a word, disgusting is what I'd call them. Yeah, that's the most. They're the disgusting bag of shits. The disgusting duo. Uh, the Fred Atwell, opportunistic parasite bag of shit, for sure. I like Dirty is what I would say about the cops and prosecutors that, well, that seem to think the ends justify the means and they put their thoughts above truth and evidence. I'd say there are dirty bags of shit. I'm not sure where to classify Mosley or Shabiznis, really. You know, they're both deviant in a way that is just, ew. I mean, that's that uh, kind of, you know, when you think of like serial killers and you think of people who are just really, really twisted, I, I think they kind of fall into that category of being, uh, you know, not maniacal, but just like really far gone, you know? I mean, you got to be pretty far gone to assault a woman the way that Mosley did. 
And you got to be, and come back. <laughs> right. And you got to be, I don't even know what, I don't even know where to put it to dismember somebody. And and you kind of left it out in this episode or whatever we're doing that. I mean, he just, she didn't just like dismember him. Then she talked about how she was like cuddling with him and how all the cutting made her tired. And, and so that's why she left some parts in some places and was planning to come back. And yeah, that's right. I did say how she was uh, having her way with him and his body parts as she was cutting him up, but she did take a nap at one point. And uh, that one, here's the thing. I would put her in the category of the WTF bag of shit because you could only just watch in horror and amazement of what in the hell is actually going on. Like, am I hearing this? When you hear two attorneys there discussing where the dildo was placed, I mean, that's not a typical day in court from what I've seen. You know, I don't think I've had that one before. I was trying to think. I don't think it's come up before. So she, I'm giving her like the, uh, she's like the WTF of the, of the decade. Like one of those things you couldn't even make up. If you try to make up some sick, stupid horror story, you wouldn't even come up with all the crazy details, the freaking cat coming down in the basement, you know, while she's cutting and she liked the cat. Thank goodness. She liked the cat. Good grief. Well, she says she liked Shad. You know, I was her buddy. She loved him. Well, I hate to see how she treats people. She doesn't like. Did you skip Hoover? I try to. <laughs> Hoover, horrible, institutional bag of shit. <laughs> That's pretty good. He's driving the damn bus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that really is. I mean, you make a great point. And frankly, it's a tough, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a toss up. I, I think he definitely, I think he gets the runner up. I, I do think he kind of stands out a little bit above the rest in that sense. And, and you, you know, I know I talked about it, but you highlighted it that there is something about to those who much is uh, given, you know, much is expected. And so to be that way is just extra evil. Yeah. How many, like I know these sextortionists have screwed up a lot of lives and taken a bunch of lives. And while we don't have any necessarily bodies per se on Hoover, because of course, kind of like a mafia boss, it would be out through all his people. But to me, the mafia bosses are far more respectable than Hoover because they never claim to be legit. Whereas this guy, he's supposed to be about truth and justice. And I think he was anything but. He was about his version of what truth was and what justice was. But the sextortionists, yeah, I think I can't find another word for them. So they just have to be the bags of shit. I would agree with that. There you have it, folks. We have settled on god-awful sextortionist as the standout bag of shit of 2020-23. 2020-23. The 2020 three. Did you develop a stutter during this episode? I think so. Well, you're all worked up. I understand. It's time for you to go take a break. Yeah, you got me trying to pick who's worst, Hoover or Sextortionist, and you know they're the two damn people that I can't stand the most. You got you all kinds of flustered. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, you know, listen to some post Malone and Tupac to get me right again. There you go. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us on the Brothers in Crime podcast. Feedback and suggestions are always welcome. For links and resources related to this episode, please see the show notes or visit us at brothersincrimepodcast.com. We hope you'll save, subscribe, or bookmark us on your favorite podcast site and join us for the next episode.